Well, hello, church. How are we doing today? Besides a little bit more chilly than usual. Um, I just want to say welcome to any of you who are visiting with us, those who are online. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, I know there's a few of you out there. I've talked with you this week. Um, welcome, welcome to you. Um, we, are, we are somewhere in the middle of this sermon series on John's gospel, aren't we? And uh, we, we've titled the series so that you may believe because John wrote the gospel uh, of, of Jesus' life in order, he says, that we might believe, that we might come to have faith. And this morning, we're going to turn to John's gospel, chapter 2. We're going to read 13 to 22, chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. And, uh, and today's lesson is really straightforward. Um, we're going to learn about clutter and cleaning house. Clutter and cleaning house. Some, some, like, some, some couples are already getting like the elbow nod, like, yeah, that's the plan. All right, let's pray. Let me pray for us. God, we pray would you quiet our hearts now, Lord. Take away all the noise of the world. God, the distractions of our days, Lord. And help us to just focus on you. I pray by your Holy Spirit you would uh, just meet us wherever we are, online, in this, this room. God, at home, uh, from afar, Lord, here in person, that you would, God, just open our ears to listen for you. Lord, we confess that this is a messy world. We confess that we are walking through some messy lives and some messy times. So God, I just pray, Lord, that as we open up your word this morning, that you would speak to us, give us clarity and discernment. God, that as we leave this place today, that not one of us would be left unchanged. Lord, but that we would be renewed and refreshed by your spirit to walk back out those doors with boldness and humility and conviction. Lord, as a Christian witness for you. So God, we just confess right now, Lord, that all of us are hungering for your word. Would you speak to us and give it to us? Lord, feed us this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So John's gospel, chapter two, we're gonna read 13 uh, to 22, 13 to 22. Let's listen to God's word. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. 
Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So let me just ask the obvious question this morning. When was the last time you cleaned your house? I don't mean like did the dishes and caught up on some laundry and some chores kind of clean. I mean like deep clean. When was the last time you got all hands on deck and cleaned your house? And I ask that because traditionally we're taught to do this thing called spring cleaning, right? Did anybody else grow up that way? But in a place like Bozeman, I feel that timing is way off. If we're going to clean house, it's got to be right now. And here's my logic. Fall means snow is on the way, clearly. And snow means we're going to be indoors for the next six months, optimistically. So we might as well accept the reality and settle in. And my my first priority uh, every fall, and you probably have a similar priority, is the garage. You with me? Because if you can get the garage clean, you just spared yourself those those 10 below mornings where you're out scraping your car. And I I actually enjoy cleaning the garage because my style of cleaning, I'm I'm a clear the clutter kind of guy, right? When I think of a clean space, I want empty floors and bare countertops. It doesn't really matter to me where you stuff it, just as long as it's stuffed out of the way, we're good to go. But here's the hiccup. Um, Jen, my wife, uh, she thinks of a clean house from a completely different perspective. When Jen thinks of deep clean, she thinks of it with a much more meticulous eye. Jen could care less about clutter. Really, she's concerned with dirt. So Jen's idea of a clean house is to take a sponge to the floors on her hands and knees and then a Q-tip, I kid you not, a Q-tip to the baseboards. Anybody else? Any other type A cleaners in the house? If you really get Jen going, she will even pull out an old toothbrush with some bleach and get her done. And these two styles, uh, micro and macro cleaning, we'll call them, they work really well together. That is until it comes to the definition of a clean house. My girls, they know exactly who to come to for their room inspection. (laughs) Uh, The toys are stuffed under the bed. The dirty clothes are over somewhere in the closet. Craft supplies shoved in the drawers. And I'm like, this looks good. You can go play. But to Jen, that room is not clean until it is clean. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, when it comes to cleaning house, we all have our own hang-ups. Like, which way does the toilet paper spin? What is the right and wrong way to fold a t-shirt or a towel? How should those glasses be put in the cupboard? And here's why I stir all that up. Like, lunchtime today is going to be fun for some of you. Our scripture opens up to this, this scene in Jerusalem, just within the temple courts, and Jesus is cleaning house. He's flipping over the tables of the money changers. He's cracking a whip of cords, causing a scene to drive out these animals. And make no mistake about it, he is angry. I don't mean like the human sinful kind of anger, like the anger where you're grumping because you're cleaning the house. I mean righteous indignation. God's word tells us the passion that Jesus had for his father's house had consumed him. And Christ walks into these outer courts of this temple and he finds this place cluttered in sin. The worship of God's people had been replaced by greed, right? Animal merchants and money changers. And this clutter had been there for so long, no one even recognized it anymore. Let me tell you why that is. Give us some context. 
The Jewish faithful, every year, they would make this annual pilgrimage to the holy city during Passover. And as a devout Jew, you would bring two things on behalf of your family. First, every male 20 years and older would bring their annual dues for the temple tax. It was kind of like your, your ticket in the door. You, you, you needed that. That was standard to get in. But in addition, in addition to that, depending on your economic status, you would also bring some sort of animal for sacrifice. Pigeons, doves, oxen. And it seems like a two really simple tasks, but, but think about the practicals of the requirements of these two tasks for a minute. When you're traveling from the outskirts of the Roman Empire, maybe for weeks and for miles, the last thing you really want to bring is an animal to slow you down. So instead, the plan was to buy one when you arrived. But there's a second problem. All the currency at that time was regional. So unless you were from Jerusalem, you would need to convert your foreign cash. So money changers would line the streets of the Kidron Valley like an airport currency exchange, and they would trade their foreign cash for something called a Tyrian silver coin. And just ahead of that then would be merchants ready to sell you their livestock. And this practice in and of itself is not sinful. Jesus doesn't call out commerce and trade. This was the problem. Somewhere along the way in the history of God's people, they moved all of that, that marketplace from the Kidron Valley into the temple courts because that's where the people were and therefore that's where the money was. The merchants and the money changers have taken worship and they've turned it for profit. So Jesus sees this defilement of his father's house and he goes on a tear because what should have been in place was prayer and reflection, but it was replaced by noises of a barn. And what should have been a court of worship and preparation now looked more like a downtown farmer's market. And for Jesus, it's really clear what needs to happen. It's time to clean house. So this morning, I thought we'd look at three very specific ways that Christ does this. Because if we really look inward, um, it's not really that our homes are messy. That's not the issue. It's that we're a messy people. That's the real issue. Our sin and our woundedness often creates so much of a mess in our lives and it gets so overwhelming that sometimes we get to a place where we're not sure how to even clean it up. So I figured why not look at three ways that Christ cleans the mess in this temple and see if we might apply those same things to how we might clean the mess of life. And the first step is really, really clear. The first thing Jesus does is he defines the clutter. There's a story of an Australian pastor who gave this lengthy sermon on the dangers of sin. And later that week, one of the, the men from his church came to him. He was really upset. He said, my son listens to you every Sunday. And the more that you talk about sin, the more obsessed he becomes with it. He told the preacher, he said, I need you to use a different word. The pastor thought about it for a minute. He said, I just want to make sure that I understand you. Let me be clear. He said, what you want me to do is come up with a more friendly word for sin, yeah? The man was so angry. He was red in the face. He said, the more you talk about that word, the more my children fall into the endeavor. We've got to use a different word. The pastor thought about it for a minute. He said, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. He said, walk with me. They went down the hall from the church and went into the utility closet, and he pulled out a bottle clearly labeled rat poison. He said, it seems to me that this poison might be too strong of a word, right? It's not really PC. I mean, poison, it refers to destruction and, and death, negative connotations, not for kids. He said, what if we called this poison peppermint candy? 
The man looked at him somewhat confused. The pastor said, what might be the problem with changing the word poison to candy? He said, the punchline here is that the more that we change the label, the more dangerous we make the poison. The problem in this temple scene is that no one wanted to name sin for what it was anymore. For decades, the faithful would journey to this place in the holy city year after year, and after weeks of pilgrimage, they would walk into these temple courts ready for worship, but instead of a sacred scene, they walked into a carnival, which forces the question, how is it that thousands of God's people came to ignore the obvious desecration of his temple? How come nobody called that out? See, it seems to me when you don't have a good definition of what clutter is, of what a clean house is, we forget where clutter begins and where it ends. Whether it's the stuff we can all see like my garage or the stuff that's hidden under the baseboards, it's still clutter. So Jesus shows up and without apology, he names the clutter. That's the first thing he does. He tells them, stop making my father's house into your marketplace Get those doves out of here. He flips the table, says, get that out too. Because what Jesus sees in this moment is everything that is wrong with the temple of God. They've turned God's people away from worshiping him altogether. You know, really, I think if we were to talk about a clean house, the first thing we need to do is def define what clean is. I might step on some toes here, but it seems to me our day is a day of tolerance. You with me? To be tolerant is to be virtuous. That's what our culture would say. And to be tolerable, we, we can agree with this for the most part. To be tolerable is to be patient or reasonable, understanding. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But what happens when the Bible calls something intolerable? Then what do we do? Really, look around your life for a minute. Where is the clutter that maybe you haven't named in quite some time? And why is that? Where is the compromise? It leads me to the second point of our, our time together, which is this. An infestation calls for drastic remediation. When we first moved to Houston, um, the first church that that Jen and I served, we, we bought a foreclosure that hadn't been lived in for years. And it was a pretty good deal. Far from the few holes in the wall, it was, it was in pretty good shape. But a few weeks after we moved in, we, we noticed these ants coming through odd places like the, the smoke detector, the outlets in the wall. And it started with just one or two ants. I went and bought a few ant traps and thought no big deal, but it wasn't long before we saw dozens and then hundreds and then I kid you not, thousands of ants in this house. In fact, on one particular evening, there was a, a torrential rainstorm outside and we came home to a pile in our living room. And in that moment, in that second, I was now ready for war. Right, I don't care how much money it took. I didn't really care in that moment. I didn't care if you burned the house down. We called every exterminator we could find and we told them, look, the first one here tomorrow morning wins the contract, nuke them. And here's what I'm trying to say. Infestations call for drastic measures. See, people often, they read this story of God's word and they wonder, why didn't Jesus just kindly pull the people aside and ask them nicely to leave? Why not use this as a teaching opportunity? I mean, if Jesus is all about love, why'd you have to be so violent about it? 
Here's why. When you find your life in sin, you don't kindly ask sin to leave. You wage war against it. And here's the problem with clutter. Um, if you don't eradicate it, if you let it fester in the shadows, if you ignore it and pretend it's not there, the problem's only going to increase. Clutter collects clutter. See, sin is this, this compelling, this compounding phenomenon, a slippery slope. Reminds me of one of my favorite verses. I've shared this, I'm sure, many times with you in Genesis 4, 7, where, where Cain is angry, right? He's in this jealous rage against his brother, and he's, he's huffing and he's puffing. He's ready to kill someone. And the Lord comes to him, and he tells him, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to devour you, to take you over, to rule over you. See, sin is a cancer that metastasizes within us. It's why God's word tells us these crazy things like if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. We know better than to take that literally, and yet that kind of hyperbole should make us stop and think. Like what is it in your life that's got to go? I'll confess for us in our family most recently it was Netflix. If you're brought up on charges in the United States of America for something as atrocious as child pornography, why would you spend money on that? See, we don't even see it. We don't even see the desecration around us. See, Jesus doesn't take issue with those who are worshiping in the temple courts. He takes issue with those who are living in sin and therefore distracting everybody else from worshiping him. And this is exactly what sin does. It's that which separates us from God. So Jesus takes action. He, he, in this action, he highlights the entire purpose of Christ's coming. Jesus didn't come to just talk about those things which separate us from him. He came to set us free from it. And you have to wonder, how is it that in this moment, Jesus wasn't arrested and taken away? Right, I mean, Jesus is really creating a, a riot here, right? Those standing around him, they didn't fight back. They're losing their livelihood as he cracks the whip and takes all of their animals away and flips their money, changes. I mean, the money's all over the ground. Now, here's the odd part. This group of Jews, they come to Christ and they ask him, are you for real? They ask for this sign to prove his authenticity and authority. Look at this in John 2.18 on your screens. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, just the fact that they came and asked Jesus to explain himself means they're interested. Jesus could have been a lunatic. He could have been crazy. But instead of arresting the man, there's a part of this crowd that knows that what he's up to is right. So Jesus gives them an ominous riddle. Look at this in verse 19. He says, do you want a sign? Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Which brings me to my third and final point today. And that is that the only true way to clean house is Christ. Everyone thought that Jesus was speaking of the temple, right? Of the, the Father's house. In fact, they were offended by this. Later, this bites Jesus. They accused him of threatening to destroy the most holy, sacred place in all of Jerusalem. 
Look at this in verse, 40, or verse 20, you'll see it. They say, it took 46 years to build this temple. You can't rebuild that in three days. What are you doing, Lord? And yet Jesus isn't concerned with the buildings. He's concerned with heartbeats. And the temple that he refers to is himself, right? That's the sign. My body will be destroyed. And on the third day, I'll rise in victory. This is the main point. Don't miss this. You cannot clean your house. You cannot clean your life without Christ. You might be like Ryan and you might get the house looking free from from clutter and it might all look good. But there's still the Q-tip and the baseboards to go after. In his book, uh, Reunion, Bruxy Casey, uh, he, he asks a really important question. He says, how much sin do you think God could allow into heaven? Really think about it. Would it be maybe 0.5% in his presence? 0.05%? What about 0.005%? Would that be okay? See, the answer to that question has to be zero. No sin. When Olympic athletes are are tested for performance-enhancing drugs, if there's even a trace of drugs in their system, they fail, right? Their, Their blood is either clean or it's not clean. The standard is 0% perfection, which means it's not enough to just be a church of moral people. It's not enough to have our houses looking in order. It's, it's not enough that we, that we look the part. In fact, if that's the main goal, this is a straw man. The church is not a community of perfect people. It's a community of saved people. That's why one of our core values at Spring Hill, you'll see it on the sign as you leave today, is that we are a broken people restored only by Christ. In other words, living a moral life for morality's sake is a dead end. Early on in ministry, a stranger came to the church on Monday morning. He had a crisp $100 bill in his hand as he stepped into my office. And he had come to confess every deep embedded sin in his life. For over an hour, um, it was comprehensive. He told me things that he had never told anyone before. He was there to clean house, a new start. He said he remembered distinctly how his Sunday school teacher had taught him that if you want to get into heaven, you must be a good kid. And at the end, he pushed the money across the table. He said, this is my way of paying for what I've done. I just want to be good again. And I gave him the $100 bill back. I said, I'm so thankful for your heart, but I said, this is, this is not why you want to give to the church. It's not going to cover it. See, the wages, the cost of any sin is death, death for eternity, and there's only one man who can pay that penalty. There's only one man who can clean up that absolute mess. Look at this from 1 Timothy. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. See, the church is not in the business. We cannot be in the business of making good boys and girls who act right and make mom and dad and grandpa and grandma proud. We have to get away from this mentality that the the church is for perfect people, right? In fact, parents, hear me on this. This has been a conviction of mine with my own children recently. If we raise our children with the expectation of perfection, we have already set them up for failure. Our aim in raising the next generation of Christ followers is to ensure that our children certainly know right from wrong, but even more importantly, know the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Because hearts are never gonna be transformed by rules. Hearts are transformed by grace. Look at this up on your screens from Paul Tripp. He said, when your child wonders about what is right and what is wrong, don't just threaten them with the law of God. Woo them with the sweet music of the grace of God. God didn't just give us children to build our reputation. He gave us children so we would proclaim his. Have we defined the clutter? Are we willing to eradicate it with a sense of urgency and immediacy? But do we realize, do we know more than anything that the clutter will only be wiped away by Jesus Christ? If your house is like mine, um, you got some chores to do today. You'll likely go home to, to clutter and you'll, you'll likely need to either clean it with a macro mentality or micro But as you do a little fall cleaning, let me invite you just to consider the bigger picture at play. See, Jesus promised all of us that if we would confess the clutter, if we would confess our sins to him, our brokenness, if we would turn from it, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and remove the mess from our messy lives. Close your eyes and hear this psalm and then let's pray. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, we, we confess it's, it's hard to find the standard, Lord. And as days go on and the world shifts around us, we can easily find a watered-down gospel, a watered-down version of you of what's right and wrong. So God, I just pray that you would continue to, uh, Lord, convict us. Lord, not for righteousness' sake, God, but that we would follow you and do right when we see wrong out of gratitude, Lord, knowing that it's by Jesus Christ that we have been set free, washed clean, made pure and holy. So God, I just pray if there's any, any burden on anyone's heart right now in this moment, Lord, that you would just remove it. Lord, that we would be reminded by your cross and your sacrifice that we've been made pure. God, you called our bodies a holy temple with the Holy Spirit indwelling. So Lord, clean the temple, Lord. Lead us on. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.